Hey everyone, welcome to the Golfer's Journal podcast brought to you by Titleist, the number one ball in golf. My name's Tom Coyne, I'm a senior writer at the Golfer's Journal, and big week, big week coming up, one of my favorites for sure, and today we have a podcast that's going to be about what's going on this week, a preview of the Open Championship, but a preview of a different sort. Rather than talk about the favorites for winning the tournament or what the winning score might be or the conditions, I wanted to do a podcast that talked a little bit more about some of the significance and interesting context about the host site, and that would be Royal Port Rush in Northern Ireland. Now, the Open hasn't been there since 1951, which was the only other time the Open has been hosted outside the mainland UK. And since it's been so many years since the tournaments left England or Scotland, I mean, that makes this year's event a really big deal. So I wanted to do a show that highlighted why the venue this year is so historically significant for a lot of different reasons. I'll sometimes hear players or golf television folks or golf radio folks talk about Ireland and Northern Ireland and not understand the difference between the two. Sort of, I've heard people wonder why they have to get Euros down south and use pound sterling up north or why there's one flag down there and another flag up here and 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 i get that i mean not everyone would know the history of the place but i think it's sort of a shame because it overlooks so much history so much struggles but also so much progress and so much hope so i want to do a podcast that really talks about why this year's venue matters so much so that while you're watching the tournament you can really understand the significance of the fact that a major championship is being hosted in Northern Ireland. To just look at it as another open venue on the road, well, our listeners here at Golfer's Journal are too smart for that, for sure. As for this year's Open, you know that the ball that the most players will be playing is the new Titleist Pro V1 and Pro V1X because it's got more speed, more precision, more consistency. And let me also take a chance before we get into our conversation to thank you, the subscribers and the listeners, also want to thank the sponsors from the pages of the Golfer's Journal, and that's Scotty Cameron, Link Soul, Titleist, Oakley, New York Private Bank and Trust, and Links and Kings. And finally, you might remember that in our last pod, we teased an upcoming Golfer's Journal event in the D.C. area, and that event is now live on golfersjournal.com. Just go to our events page and you'll see it there. It's the Broken Tea Jailbreak at Laurel Hill. It's benefiting Fairways for Freedom. So it's for a great cause. It's going to be on September 19th. It includes a round of golf at Laurel Hill, entry into the two-man shamble, VIP gifts from our sponsors, lunch, reception at the Workhouse Art Center, dinner by Mission Barbecue, delicious. Our keynote speaker is going to be combat injured veteran Jason Miller. There's going to be an art exhibition, a silent auction, prizes, surprise guests, giveaways. It's going to be a blast. So go to the events page. It's going to sell out quickly. That's really going to be a special day, a lot of fun. So we have two guests on the show today. Our second guest will be Wilma Erskine, and she's the secretary manager of Royal Port Rush, and she's the person most responsible for bringing the Open back to Port Rush. She wouldn't say as much, but I haven't spoken to anyone in the know who doesn't give her the lion's share of the credit for the Open coming back to Northern Ireland. But she didn't just bring the Open, she also put Royal Port Rush back on the map. When she took the place over 35 years ago, they were getting almost no visitor play. Now visitor rounds are booked out two years in advance. It was a place people didn't go to for various reasons. And those reasons are something my first guest, Dr. Richard Haslam, is going to elaborate on. Now, Dr. Haslam is a professor of English and Irish literature at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. 
hey, that's where I teach as well. So he's a friend of mine and a colleague, but he was also born and raised in Belfast during the height of the Troubles. The Troubles being the conflict between Catholic and Protestant paramilitaries in Northern Ireland. Now, I wanted Rich to come on and give us the 10-minute version of a thousand years of Northern Ireland history, and I think you'll find he does in excellent job of of doing just that. Now, by looking at Northern Ireland's history, I don't want anyone to think that I'm trying to glorify the conflict or the troubles or to bring up old history for the sake of romanticizing it. I want to do this brief history lesson because one, it's incredibly interesting and relevant. And two, because today Northern Ireland is different. Ireland is different. It's thriving and at peace. There have been some recent events that haven't been so wonderful, but for the most part, What has happened there is a miracle of compromise and political maneuvering. A hopeless situation has become hopeful. So hopeful that the Open can even be played there. So we should celebrate not just the golf that we're going to watch this weekend, but also celebrate how far the island of Ireland has come in recent years. So let's learn just how far that is. In the second half of the pod, we'll talk with Wilma about how the Open came to Portrush and all the preparations for the tournament and her amazing career as a young woman running one of the oldest boys clubs in the country. But first... A few minutes with Dr. Richard Haslam, perhaps the first guest on the Golfer's Journal podcast who doesn't golf even a little bit. But aside from that shortcoming, he's without a doubt one of the smartest guys I know. All right, so I'm here with my friend Richard Haslam, who is the smartest guy I know um, here at St. Joseph's (laughs) University. Richard, you grew up in Belfast, is that right? Yes, yes. I grew up, I was born there in 1960, and then I was eight years old when the trouble started and uh, lived lived there um, another 10 years and then went to university in England. Mm-hmm. And that's when I learned more about the troubles because I ended up explaining the troubles right. to people in England. We, we just took it for granted, but when other people were asking me what is going on there, particularly at the time of the hunger strikes in 1981. Why are these people, prisoners, starving themselves to death? And and then in trying to explain that history to them, I became more interested in in it myself. Yeah, for sure. And that's basically what I I was hoping to get for the listeners of the Golfer's Journal podcast, the fact that the Open Championship is coming back to Royal Rush since the last one, I believe, was 1951. You know, well before the Troubles. So it's been, you know, almost 70 years uh, since the Opens pretty much left either Scotland or England and to come to Northern Ireland. So as people are watching the tournament, you know, I'm hoping for them to understand, right, you know, some of that historical context that you would have been explaining. And so that they can understand that this is a big deal that Northern Ireland can host, you know, an international event like this, that a, that a British Open Championship can be held on the mainland of Ireland is, is yeah. quite significant. Because I think some people watching might not understand two countries on one island. Right. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, I'll go on golf trips sometimes and people will, you know, we'll get up north and People, but well, why am I using pounds now? And right. and why right. are there Union Jack flags everywhere? They have a general understanding that something happened in Northern Ireland, but what did happen? Why why are we in this situation of two countries, one island? Yeah, uh, if you can give us the the five minute version of a Thousand Years of well, History. Yeah. <laughs> Back in 1981, I began in 1172 with the Normans <laughs> invading Ireland. But the the shorter version of that is that from 
1800 on, it was the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. England, uh, the United Kingdom, basically England, controlled completely Ireland. And But many Irish um, nationalists, people, uh, not always Catholic, but many of them Catholic, wanted an independent Ireland. And so from the period of 1800 into the early 1920s, there were various armed uprisings, attempts to get back independence from Ireland. And the most successful one was in 1916, the so-called Easter Uprising, which was recently had its 100th anniversary. And that led to a war of independence. And the war of independence, however, gave partial autonomy to Ireland uh, in in the lower parts of the island. But in the north, there had always been a majority Protestant population. They'd been brought over there in the 1600s to kind of to uh, take away, they were given land that used to belong to the, the Irish Catholics. So there was a majority Protestant population in the north. So the deal, as in India and other places, partition, right. the country was parted. And these six counties in the northeast part, known as Northern Ireland, remained part of the United Kingdom and the other 26 counties in what uh, in what was then known as the Free State later the Republic of Ireland they had their own their own autonomy but those the problem with those six <coughs> counties northern ireland was it was controlled by a protestant two thirds protestant majority one third uh, catholics and they were treated as second-class citizens from, mm-hmm. from the you know, uh, mid-1920s on. And then they were inspired in the 1960s. They were given inferior housing and inferior um, you know, voting rights for very poor, for working-class Catholics and Protestants, but the Catholics were particularly uh, targeted. So inspired by the civil rights marches that were happening with Martin Luther King and, and others in America, the nationalists started protesting and marching for so for their civil rights in Northern Ireland. Uh, but then there was a backlash by Protestant paramilitary groups were scared of losing power. So they, uh, and Northern Ireland broke down into rioting mm-hmm. in, in the 1960s, in, in the late 1960s. And the British army were, were sent in to calm things down and uh, protect the Catholics, believe it or not. Right. But what happened after a couple of years, the British army were, you know, didn't always were not always well disciplined in the way they ran things and so various shootings occurred and a group called the Irish Republican Army which had been dormant for a long time sprang up again in Catholic areas and started fighting a war so you had three forces um, certain members of the Irish Catholic the Irish Republican Army fighting against the British and also against certain unionist or loyalist groups which wanted to stay the union of Great Britain. So that three-way struggle continued from 1968 for for, um, 30 years uh, through lots of, there were various atrocities, a lot of killings and bombings, uh, mainly in Northern Ireland, but also in Great Britain and in the Republic of Ireland. But then through a complex peace process in 1998, a kind of rapprochement was set up. So for the last um, 20, 20 or yeah 21 years or so there's been an uneasy piece there mm-hmm. uh, but it has allowed uh, more c- uh, commercial enterprises and and uh, businesses to return and obviously the British Open is a sign of that yeah for sure I mean we're talking later in the podcast to Wilma Erskine who's the general manager at Royal Port Rush and she and she gets so much credit for bringing the open back as, as and she absolutely deserves it but when you really think about it you know what makes it possible for the open to come back it was the Good Friday Agreement. For the folks that don't know, what happened in the Good Friday Agreement? There was, it was 
there was help from from American politicians, and there mm-hmm. was also a, 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 a group of British politicians and Republic of Ireland politicians. So you had these forces all coming together to find a way to give some measure of what's called devolved government back to Northern Ireland, so that um, uh, members of the they're not called members of the assembly as they're called MLAs could represent their constituents at a a form of government which was fairer than the previous government from 1922 to 1971 which was a Protestant government for Protestant people this was an attempt to delegate or devolve power back to people in Northern Ireland and also the the IRA the military paramilitary organizations were asked to lay down their weapons right there was a feeling of like stagnation or, or feeling of like impasse amongst the, the the soldiers or paramilitaries feeling that we'd reached a deadlock now maybe is the time a new generation had actually been born as well and many of these paramilitaries had children and they didn't want to um, visit it for another generation so a complex series of political arrangements were made and prisoners were released from jail and you know which has caused you know obviously if someone had killed your family and then you saw the person now walking free from jail as part of a peace deal it yeah. causes the, so there's yeah. still a lot of buried resentment right. but the peace has held there've been some dissident groups and attempts to start it up again but touch wood it it, it still has held there's still division underneath but um, there's still political divisions but it's in a much more hopeful um, state than it was you know 25 years ago yeah so when you go back i know you go back often uh and as you travel around northern ireland how does it feel different today than it did when you were growing up there's much more acknowledgement of the irish community the irish speaking community you know because the irish language used to be sort of not not allowed to be to be promoted in northern ireland mm-hmm. uh, so because but now there's much there is there has been more of an attempt to recognize the importance of two traditions rather than just one tradition over over the other so there is a lot more of that you see that on the you see that on the road signs the street signs you see it on the radio and television programs uh, there, there has been uh, definitely a, a, that is a, a sense of advance and you don't have to worry as much anymore about you know suspicious car parked outside shops and things right. like that so just at that level of a lot less um, imminent danger um, of, of violence it certainly is an improvement and uh, there's still whether there can be a radical shift the trouble is now it's being threatened by Brexit, what's happening with the European Union. And that, that's Ireland and the keeping of, if, if a hard border goes back between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland as part of the UK pulling out of, United Kingdom pulling out of Europe, that could push things backward. So there's a sense of kind of uh, nervousness at the moment. Uh, what is going to happen with, with Brexit? Will this open border between Northern Ireland and the Republic rem- remain open and and what will be the implications if the United Kingdom does pull out of Europe? Yeah, it's a huge question for sure. And as you were saying, I think it's one of the interesting things as a golf traveler going to Northern Ireland and, and going around the coast, going from town to town, like you said, you know, you'll be in one town and it'll all be Union Jacks and UVF flags, right? the Ulster Volunteer Force, which would be the Protestant equivalent of the IRA. And then you'll go to the next town and it's all tricolors and mm-hmm. and the signs are in gaelic yes and there's hurleys on the wall in in the pub and and you know the irish culture is so it seems the temperature feels like different sort of from 
from town to town, which is really interesting. You know, whether it be, I guess, considered more of a Protestant town or a Catholic town. Is there that? Is yeah, there, that are, there are. There are. There are, particularly with the smaller towns, and, and in, there, there, are, there are towns that are more predominantly Protestant and Unionist or Loyalist, uh, more than, and there are other towns that are more nationalist. And in larger areas like. Belfast are areas where you'll see the tricolors and and the murals on the walls, the paintings on the walls, which reflect both the history and and the mythology. And then a a city like Derry, um, although Derry, the city of Derry, it's called Derry to Catholics. It's called London Derry to Protestants. So even the name of that city, which is near Port Rush, contains these these tensions. But yeah, ideally now, the, the culture is promoted at, at this symbolic level of paintings and art and music and you know not and not done uh, pursued through violent violent ends so that's the that's the ideal so now you get a troubles tour of belfast you, you know, do yeah. you, you go around and see these places this is where bad stuff used to happen <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully that's the way it remains you I know? Did, yeah i have to confess i've taken the that black taxi tour of west belfast it it's quite fascinating mm-hmm. uh, but it does feel a little bit weird to be sort of combining tourism and, and past atrocities. Yes, but, yes, yes. Um, but, yeah. but nonetheless, it, it is, uh, you know, visiting Northern Ireland as, as a golf golfer, golf traveler, uh, I mean, there's so much to offer up there. And you do go around, and there, your expectations, if, if you grew up in the 70s or 80s, are of a place in turmoil, and then you go and you find um, a really wonderful, beautiful country that's just incredibly welcoming and has really caught on to, they're excited that you're there. You yes, know, uh, yes. because Americans weren't going there in the 70s and 80s. Yes. Um, so they're excited to have you. They've caught on with tourism, the hotel industry, etc. So it's just a wonderful, it is a, a wonderful place to be for sure. Now, I think you do have the exciting, do you play golf? I don't, unfortunately. So, which is cool, I think, <laughs> because I think you have the distinction of being the first guest on the Golfer's Journal podcast who does not golf, which is wonderful. But one question, one golf question. So when players are on the leaderboard in a golf tournament, they put their flag next to their name. Right. And uh, Rory McIlroy, great player, often right. on that leaderboard. Now, sometimes he's up there with Justin Rose or Ian Poulter, and, and they're from England. So they'll have the St. George's flag, the Red Cross. Uh, Rory, next to his name, him being from Northern Ireland, he has the, the Ulster flag. But if people look, there's and and if you're watching, you know, the Open uh, at Port Rush, the flag of Northern Ireland is a little bit different than the English flag. There's a little something on there. Can you tell folks about what the bloody hand of Ulster is? Yeah, I mean the red, the red hand. Well, that's. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does go back to folklore ideas. Uh, the story I've heard is I, I that there were two rival. Uh, chieftains trying to claim a, a certain bit, bit of an island and uh, boating towards it one of the offshore islands in in the north and uh, two separate boats going towards it the idea was whoever laid his hand first on the uh, soil would claim it and one of them was so uh, <laughs> so desired to possess this land that he cut off his hand and threw it over the head of the other person so it landed there i Probably not true, but it does reflect <laughs> the fight about land and property and belonging that that is central to 
um, to, to Northern Ireland. Um, but I certainly agree with you. Uh, what I've seen, it has some beautiful golf courses besides Fort Rush. It has some, some beautiful ones as well. And it is the landscape and the scenery. Uh, it, it's great that it's become open again to people from other countries and people feel okay and a right to feel okay about visiting it because visitors are welcome. People love to see tourists coming in. Yeah. They love to have uh, talk and crack, as it's called there. Mm -hmm. Good, good conversation. Not, not the drug crack, but C R A I C. <laughs> they love their Means crack. Good, good conversation. <laughs> so uh, that's that's an Irish word. Richard, I can't. Doctor Haslam, can't thank you enough for your time. <laughs> and are you going to watch the open? Oh yeah, I will now. Okay. That it's got that. Uh, <laughs> it's got that dimension to it. And uh, my my sister in law's family are really. Uh, big golfers and love yeah. so they'll I'll be hearing about it from them anyway Excellent. you know so and my mother loves to watch golf as well she finds it calming so <laughs> it is calming and this is going to be a great one the course in Port Rush is extraordinary and uh, it's it's really going to be something to see it's it's great for it to be going back so thanks again no, you're welcome thank you so I'm here with my friend Wilma Erskine Wilma last time I saw you we were in we were down in sunny Florida on the uh, we were yeah we were at the PGA show on a panel for Irish golf at the and you were uh, you and I were getting questions hurled at us I know we were it was it was relentless but you know honestly come on most of the questions were for you you are the most interesting person in Irish golf this year I would say definitely huge things going on at your club you're the secretary manager at Royal Port Rush home of this year's Open Championship just to clarify for my listeners when I say the secretary at Royal Port Rush. The secretary at our clubs here is usually the person that just like takes the minutes at, at the board meetings, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, secretary in, uh, in Irish and, and, and UK clubs is uh, you're the boss. Yes. Well, the, the, the secretary is sort of an old fashioned title, which a lot of the open venues still retain. Um, as you can imagine, you know, so basically in a lot of the open venues uh, it would have been a more of an elderly person, someone maybe retired from military or banking. And it was always a man. And uh, so you can find that people can be quite confused when I say I'm the secretary of the club. They think I do the typing. Right. So, right. Never, so what happens is then you turn around and say, because they sort of look at you, you say, well, actually, I'm just the boss. <laughs> yeah, I, I just run the place. So, you know, you're speaking. Yeah, it was a job that was traditionally held by a lot of men, as you said. As you coming in. As a woman, I mean, you came in in 1984 at Royal Port Rush, was that right? Yeah, well, basically, I started, I did further education, um, and uh, I was quite into sport, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I saw this, um, well, the person I was working for at the time, we saw this advert for a golf club in County Armagh. It was an 18-hole parkland called Portadown, and it was for a position secretary manager, and um, with my background of business and hospitality, it seemed a perfect fit and I could play a little bit of golf. Mm -hmm. So I sort of naively at the age 22 applied for the job and got it. So this was a bit unique, but I couldn't see it as being a male orientated job. Um, so it was sort of, you know, well, what do we do from here? So I applied for a better golf club uh, called Mazarine, which was near Antrim. And I got the job there and I was there for another three years. And then the job at Royal Portrush came up. Now, in 1984, we had been going through here in Northern Ireland with the troubles and Phil, Phil Go. We also had an economic downturn. And this, you know, we, we didn't have an American visitor trade or anything like that. It was, you know, the club was maybe in a little bit of a 
hardship times. And anyway, the guy before me was a, a squadron leader, ex-military. And lo and behold, age 26, coming on 27, I got the job. Wow. I think we all got a bit of a shock. And <laughs> my lifespan was maybe six months. But here I am, 34 years plus. Yeah. And we've now got the Open Championship. So, yeah, you do. So, I mean, what was that transition? You go from a squadron leader to a 26-year-old um, young woman at Royal Port Rush. What was that transition like? Well, it was sort of, you know, I think people actually, even probably myself, I didn't, I mean, if somebody had said to me, you're going to be there for 30 plus years, I'd have said, well, yeah, right. Uh, so, but it, it's, I've been with the club and I've evolved with the club. So I've grown with the club. You know, so from an, an, a, a club where we weren't really world known, you know, we, we weren't that well known. We, we weren't in the world ratings. We didn't have any major tournaments. Uh, our, the visitors didn't come up north because of the troubles. But here we are now. We've got a business with five million turnover. We've got, almost got 100 staff. We've had a lot of big events over the years from Senior British Open to the Amateur Championship. And now, you know, the Irish Open and now finally the, the Open. You know, our business has changed dramatically, the, the service levels. You know, we have, to, we have to cater for the two types of business we have, the private members club and the, the, the visitors who come to play Royal Portrush. You know, they're coming here for an experience. Yeah, I mean, and that's got to be two totally different sorts of businesses. You know, um, your members who uh, this is their home club and this is their, this is their place. And then you have guys coming in from, you know, Milwaukee who are spending a lot of money to be there and they want to feel like it's their home club. So it's got to be sort of wearing two very, you know, different hats, I imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, as I always say, it's two different businesses and the two should never meet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have we have very much we have designated times for the members and we make sure they're well looked after. And we've also the times for the visitors and we make sure they're well looked after. You know, we, we, we've introduced things like meters and greeters. So when the little a uh, car, a little bus comes in, there's someone there to meet them and welcome to Royal Port Rush, show them the clubhouse, make sure that they know that they can use the facilities all day and make them feel one of us. Yeah. And uh, just make them have a, you know, as I call it, they've got to have a great experience. That's fantastic because I think that sometimes at some of the big name clubs or some of the royal clubs, there's maybe an expectation or a stigma that like, as a visitor, we're going to show up and, you know, I hope they let me change my shoes inside or, you know, yeah. so to have like a greeter there, I've always felt incredibly welcome at, at Port Rush, mm -hmm. even though I first approached it with that kind of idea in my head, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to Royal Port Rush. Mm -hmm. I hope I don't do anything stupid. But you've done a, a tremendous job, you know, turning it into a visitor friendly experience. I mean, you know, you've got to be quite proud of that. I mean, what a change from like in the night, yeah. you know, 1980s, no visitor bookings from America, probably. Yeah. And now you can't get a tea time for a year. Absolutely. No, I mean, it's, it's just changed immensely. I mean, the whole of Northern Ireland, even, you know, we're very friendly with Royal County Down and the way that, you know, there's two great golf courses in Northern Ireland and, you know, the Americans, I mean, thank goodness for USA, um, you know, they love coming here and it used to be for years when they got into Dublin Airport, they turned right to go down to Killarney and whatever. Now they're, they're all turning left. They're coming here. And, you know, it's, it's a fantastic thing that Northern Ireland can, can be seen in the world stage as a great place to come and visit rather than for, you know, the poor stories. So we're very proud of that. As you should be. And, you know, so the last Open at Port Rush, 1951, a long time ago. Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, why so long? 
to get it back? And how did you get it back? Well, basically in 1951, we've looked back in minutes and there was some RNA influence and they wanted to take the amateur championship. They went to Porth Call that year and they wanted to take the open somewhere new, a new venue. But uh, what happened post-1951, we came into the 60s. We had the amateur championship here. But then, the you know, we had a bit of unrest in Northern Ireland. And I suppose there was a bit of, um, you know, the, there was maybe a bit of consternation about coming back here. So obviously we had the, the troubles for the years that went on. But back in 1993, uh, Michael Benalek, who was secretary of the RNA then, decided to bring the amateur championship back. And that sort of kick-started events uh, that Northern Ireland were ready to do business again. And then following that, we had the Senior British Open, which was very successful for five years um, up until 1999. And then we had it in 2004. Mm -hmm. So then there was sort of 2005, 2006. Well, there's nothing new on the horizon. You know, what do we do? So there was a small group of people and we got together and we sort of had a plan. Well, what will we do here? How how will we look? Because you need tournaments to keep yourself up in world ratings and to encourage visitors to come. So it's all a cycle. You've got to work it all together. And um, mm -hmm. so we had a sort of a wish list and, you know, various amateur events. We we actually had earmarked an Irish Open, which again hadn't been in Northern Ireland for 60 years. Right. And we had sort of, it was a bit tongue in cheek, the Open Championship. That was sort of the wish list. Yeah, let's throw it. We'll throw it on the list. Yep. And we sort of, <laughs> we sort of, well, wouldn't it be wonderful? But, you know, like we're, we're pretty realistic. It's not going to happen. But then we had a, the surge of the Irish golfers doing well, the Podrick Harringtons, the Graham McDowell's, the Darren Clarks, the Rory's. So they put a little bit of pressure onto the RNA. Um, a lot of the journalists put a, lot, a bit of pressure on the RNA. Well, look, you know, what about a new venue? Have you looked at Portrush again? And, you know, there was a little bit of reluctance at the beginning, but then Peter Dawson came over on fact-finding trips. Our course architect was Martin Ebert, who also did work for the RNA. Right. And, you know, we sat down and looked at the layout of the course that exists at the moment. And seven, 18 and 1 are very close together, and it wouldn't work with the big infrastructures that you have with stands, etc. So it was, well, how, how can we change, or, you know, work this round and Peter Dawson had more or less a eureka moment where it was you know we could do this but you might not like it um <laughs> it would involve maybe making two new holes and we sort of went what <laughs> right. um but you know it's it's evolved very naturally and we you know once we got our head round how it would work um and he was very positive about it all coming here and um you know we we communicated with our members and we brought them all on board. And to be quite honest, you know, I think we've got a stronger course. We would have been criticized in the past for a week finishing 17 and 18. And we've got two new holes at seven and eight, which are very strong. And so far they've they've fit it in very well. And they've got very good um, accolade from golfers. So, you know, I think it's all come together very well. And we've had the time to progress on this. Yeah, I mean, I think I've played the new holes a couple times now and seven and eight. I mean. I think they're like they might be some of my favorite on the golf course for sure and and the way that they actually the way that they routed them and they fit you know it's not like they stuck two holes on the edge of the course you know I mean they're just right 
right in the heart of it. Yeah, no, no, it's been a very seamless transition. I mean, a lot of a lot of the visitors now don't actually know which are the two new holes. It is. Someone has to tell you which are the new ones for sure. Yeah. So and they're and they're phenomenal holes. You know, it's 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 been quite a journey and with it being a private members club, you have to say, well, you know, um, how do you, you, there's some people who are very uh, sensible, they don't want to see change, but overall it's been greeted with, um, you know, this has strengthened the course. It's making our position in world golf even greater. And, um, you know, I have to say it's been, it's been a marvelous experience. Yeah. So would that be the changes to the course? Would you say that was the biggest hoop that you had to sort of jump through to get to get the open or i imagine there were others as well yeah well i mean again with the open you know we 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 had dialogue with the northern ireland executive which would be our government and um the minister at that time for daddy which we've been uh looking after events uh was arling foster and you know even to get the initial funding for the irish open once we explained the economic benefit and what it was going to do for Northern Ireland, she got right on board and was really enthusiastic and was very keen that we pursued the open route as well. And, you know, we've we've got a very good bond there between the Northern Ireland government, the RNA and ourselves. And, you know, the deal was done pretty quick, to be quite honest. But really, I think everybody saw it was beneficial to all parties. And I think that's what it's all about. And not only that, we, you know, we, we've got an agreement for three times. So, you know, that's even more unique, the fact that we've got, you know, subject to both parties happy after number one, that we will have the open return three times. That's fantastic. And I mean, I know it's meant so much to the town just being in Port Rush recently. You can see more a little construction. Things are kind of changing. Like what's it meant for the local, you know, the community? Well, and you know, it's, oh, it's meant a lot. Amazingly. I mean, yeah, one of the government departments, they, they've invested 15 million into the town. So we've got new streetscape, new shop fronts a new train station. Um, so the town is being, you know, really lifted and tidied and to make pride that whenever visitors come that they're, and you know, property, there's cranes. When you look out the window here, you can see cranes. So there's building going on. Property prices have risen dramatically. Um, it's a great place to live. We've got fantastic beaches. There's so much to do in this area that it's just amazing. Um, I mean, the TV companies, uh, Golf Channel, NBC, whenever they come over, they've been over for Reckies. They've been bowled over by the views. Yeah. So, you know, this is going to be something else for, you know, TV coverage. Oh, it's going to be incredible. I mean, I've, I've had the chance now to play every road, of course. And, you know, Port Rush, I think, is just in a different... They're, they're all great. But in terms of the views and the landscape and what you're working with at Port Rush, it's different. You know, how do you think it's going to compare... Uh, maybe to what folks are used to seeing in other opens. Well, I think I think one of the things we have here, you know, uh, if you think of Carnisty last year, it's a fantastic golf course, but it's quite low lying. Right. Um, the views were of the golf course. There was, you know, you didn't have sea views, and a lot of the open venues are fairly flat. We're here, where we are here, it's very natural, undulating ground. Yes. Um, and with fantastic views, you know, when you stand on the third, there you have this great panoramic view. The fifth is an iconic hole again, the fantastic, you know, and obviously the famous Calamity, which is number 16 now. And all around, it's going to be just stunning views. And I think people are going to remember each hole individually because they're all quite different and quite unique. That's the thing. Yeah, the holes themselves individually really stand out. The landscape is extraordinary. Calamity is 
I can't wait for people to just watch that. You know, um, I've had many calamities there myself. How excited are, you know, so home course to Darren Clark, Graham McDowell grows up caddy in there. You know, Rory's got the course record uh, or it did at one point. So, you know, how excited and talking to those guys are they to have the open come to their backyard, if you will? I think they're all... Again, I think they're all very proud that it's coming back to Northern Ireland and, you know, they've all played a part in this as well. And they've been very great ambassadors for us. And it's going to be it's going to be pretty exciting because, you know, the golf course here can play pretty mean if, if as you know, we're very famous for wind here. Yep. And the golf course is certainly strengthened. And I wouldn't like to be the guy that's teeing off from the first with a bit of a wind coming it's an out of bounds left and out of bounds right. <laughs> and I think, you know, Rory's going to be putting himself under pressure, I reckon, before he gets here. And obviously Darren will be playing in Padraig as well. So I think they all want to, you know, showcase Dunluce, but also, um, you know, Northern Ireland generally. And a lot of these American golfers, they haven't, you know, the Tigers, the Dustins, the Jordans, they have never played here. So this is going to be a completely open experience for them. Yeah, it's it's going to be the champion golfer that wins. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I cannot wait. You know, so just reflecting now, you when this is finished, is this really the end for you at Royal Port Rush? Are you retiring after this? Yeah, well, I've 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 indicated that I will be retiring. I mean, it'll be almost 35 years when I finish. Um, I I think it's the right time. It's like a bit of a divorce. Um, you want to go <laughs> when things are good, and I feel. I think it's the right time for me to go. Um, I still want to do some work, but I think I need to do a little bit less work um, and play a little bit more golf um, and allow someone new to come in with new ideas and new thoughts. Sometimes I maybe just go and do my own thing, which maybe doesn't please everybody. But, you know, it's been my life for 35 years. And I think it's I think I have to allow someone else to come and enjoy themselves. Well, you've done extreme. I mean, your, your tenure there is, uh, you know, to bring it open, to change things in Port Rush the way that, and there's not a person that I've spoken to about the open that doesn't say it, it was Wilma. And and that's just, uh, that's an incredible thing. You know, looking back on, on this tenure, you know, what do you think you're going to miss the most about being the secretary manager? I think, I think I'll miss the golf course. I mean, it's just a fantastic Sometimes I would go out with the course manager and just whenever we're out there and you look at what a beautiful area is. I mean, it, the, the, the jewel in the crown is the golf course. Um, we're so lucky to have it. And I keep saying to people who are members, you don't know how lucky you are to, to have a little bit and a little piece of history that we have out there. And, you know, whenever we see it in July... It's going to be just something else to see return after 1951. It's going to be amazing. So last question, any of our listeners who are thinking, okay, now I got to get there, you know, even if this is airing two days before, before the open recommendations, where can they stay? How do they get there? I know tickets sold out in like a minute, but there's still got to be, still got to be some way to come see it. I mean, if, the, if people want to see where to stay is basically go on to the tourism Northern Ireland site. They have accommodation and we also use a lot of local um, uh, letting agents. Uh, but I mean, I always say to people, if they're coming here to play golf, contact the club. We'll put you in the right direction. You know, it's a small area and we want people to make sure that they go to the right place. And there's a lot of great accommodation in the areas between self-catering uh, to hotels, to guest houses. Um, and, you know, we're, we're only an hour from Belfast and 
there's so much to see and do here. So I always say to people, just don't come for the golf, come and enjoy yourself. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, you're already booked out a year for tee times. And after the open, my goodness, uh, I'll be lucky to ever get, I'll be lucky to ever get back again. Well, I mean, 2018 was just manic. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, we, we had a really, really crazy year in 2018. And we just were caught on the hop. We just didn't realize how many people wanted to play. Um, you know, obviously this year we're on mats up until July and then we've, we're solidly booked out, um, for the rest of this year. And we're, we're already getting bookings in for next year. I mean, we're on the map now and, um, we're a victim of our own success, but we, we, we hope to still be able to accommodate as many people as we can. Well, it's a beautiful thing, uh, to be a victim of your own success. Things are going so well there and, uh, just thrilled for you and everyone in Port Russia, Northern Ireland. Thank you so much for the time, Wilma. No, you're very welcome. And hopefully, Tom, we'll see you back here. Oh, you know, I'll be back before long for sure.